Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, streaming on Facebook Live, hosted today by all of our regulars, which is Gina, Mike, Ed, Ed, myself, Steve, as well as our fearless leader, founder of Liberty Block, Elliot Axelman. And today we have a very special guest with us, Josh Yoder, who is a pilot who, as I say, has positioned himself over the target and has taken lots and lots of flack for his positions on vaccines. To my knowledge, he's the founder of US Freedom Flyers, and he has been kind enough to join us today to share his story and hopefully let us pepper him with questions. So good afternoon, everybody, and welcome, Josh. Hey, everybody. Hi, welcome, good Josh. Good afternoon. Hey, guys. So Josh, open-ended question. Tell us how you got into this mess and what it is that upset you enough to do something, what you're doing, where you're heading. Sure. I, um, so I'm a founder of U.S. Freedom Flyers, and, and this really started back on August 6th of last year. I was sitting in a hotel room contemplating um, all the difficulties that we're facing as, as a nation, you know, watching what was happening with COVID, obviously the uh, vaccine mandates looming on the horizon. Uh, liberty is something that I've been passionate about for a very long time. I served in the military. I worked in the defense industry for many years uh, before I became an airline pilot. And, and I was contemplating the issues at hand in our country and uh, saw a post that a friend of mine made on Facebook um, in regards to freedom. And I gave him a call and we had a discussion. We were both very concerned uh, in the direction that we saw things heading at the airlines and other large companies, you know, especially in regards to, to vaccine mandates, et cetera. And we decided to do something about it. I decided to speak out. I went on the Stu Peter show on August 11th, I believe it was, and, and basically said, you know, what I said, I don't like what I'm seeing here. You know, this is wrong. But what happened at United Airlines, they came out with a vaccine mandate before there was ever a mandate, um, a federal mandate. And then uh, a few friends and I decided that we had to, we had to stand up and do something and get prepared as a group and, and join airline groups together. And so that when these mandates come down, the federal mandates that we were respecting, uh, that we would be prepared to fight back and, and actually make an appreciable change for, for the many people, you know, who want to push back against this inoculation um, that we know now is, is hurting, maiming, killing many people. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of U.S. Freedom Flyers. It was a tumultuous few months as, as we, you know, on Telegram, really, and um, started joining groups together and strategizing. And obviously the federal mandates did come. And on November 22nd, I believe it was, we filed a federal lawsuit against the Biden administration. I'm suing on the federal contract clause of the mandates. Um, since then, Freedom Flyers has, has grown into a much, much larger organization. Uh, you can go check us out at usfreedomflyers.org. And now we're, we're pushing back, um, you know, I guess I should, I should back up a bit. Uh, we were told to get the jab or lose your job. And November 24th was the cutoff date for most of the airlines um, across the nation. And so many of us stood up and we pushed back um, that, that it forced them to to fold. And, and they went off, the, the CEOs went to the Biden administration and they pushed that mandate back to January 4th because they realized that if they, they maintained their stance, they were going to lose their airlines. We have 20 to 30% of your employees that stand up and say, we're not taking this jab, regardless of what you do to us. Um, airlines can't afford that type of a loss. They can't afford a 10% loss, especially during a time when we're having pilot shortages anyway. Um, so we were successful in pushing back that mandate. And then came come January 4th, most of the airlines were, were accepting religious and medical exemptions. There are currently a, a couple out there that, that have not, and they fired employees and they put them on the street. And now U.S. Freedom Flyers is seeking accountability, both for the people who were co coerced and threatened in getting vaccinated, 
obviously for the unvaccinated who were coerced and threatened and intimidated uh, for the stance that they, that they took, you know, for living out the belief system. And in addition to that, now we have so many vaccine injured that are coming forward. I can tell you, I, I get calls just all the time from, from vaccine injured. As a matter of fact, yesterday I had two. And and one one call that I got yesterday that, that can't prove it was vaccine related, but there was the first officer, new hire first officer at American Airlines. He, he didn't show up for his simulator session uh, for training. I believe, it, I believe it was in Dallas. And when they went to investigate, he was found deceased in his room. I, I can't say for sure that it was related. That's something that we're looking into. But this has become all too common of a story. And it's just so sad. You know, um, we've realized that this is not just a problem in the airlines. It's a problem across the world. And we hear from so many so many different groups. Uh, you know, we weren't represented by the unions that, that we made to represent us. And now the, the same thing uh, with the Screen Actors Guild. We have, you know, members from that organization, not the organization itself, but members of the organization who are not represented by our union, um, who have come to U.S. Freedom Flyers and they're looking to join forces. And, you know, because together we're stronger and we're looking to bring, you know, massive litigation against these companies and the unions and, and, and all the people who have literally violated the law and, and the Nuremberg Code mandating these vaccines. You know, we have to find justice for all the people who benefited. How would you say this affects the non-pilots, the flying public? What's the risk? What's the danger? Well, what I can tell you, if, if you've looked at, um, I don't know if you've seen the cap, the story of Captain Bob Snow, you know, six minutes after uh, touchdown in Dallas, a flight from Denver to Dallas, I believe it was, uh, he went into he went into cardiac arrest in the flight right after they you know, set the parking brake at the gate. You know, and that's just one of, of many stories that I have, you know, quite a few stories that have come forward, similar incidents. Um, not everyone's willing to speak out. Captain Snow's one of the brave ones. Another one is uh, Greg Pearson. He's a major airline captain who has said very publicly, he said, had, had my adverse reactions um, happened while I was flying an aircraft, I was landing an aircraft, you know, with 40 airplanes lined up on the taxiway next to me. Um, the, the outcome of that flight could have been very different. Also, in the case of another gentleman by the name of Cody Flint, you should definitely look at his story. He's testified um, before two senators. And he was actually flying his aircraft and, and, and passed out. This was 50 hours after his first Pfizer shot. Uh, both of his inner ears ruptured. He doesn't remember landing his aircraft. You know, it, it's story after story. You know, those are just three of them who, who are speaking out and being very vocal about what's happened to them. You know, in the case of Greg Pearson, it was hours within, just within hours of getting his, his, um, his first Pfizer shot. I believe he went to atrial fibrillation. And you know, it's, it's, it's so, so many of these stories. And, and I know it's not just happening to pilots, it's happening to lots of people. So, I mean, you can, you can deduct from that that there's a, there's a safety impl implication that goes along with these types of adverse reactions. And that's something that, that U.S. Freedom Flyers is looking to address. You know, unfortunately, the companies and the unions don't want to hear it. Uh, you know, if they admit that we're having these problems, they're, they're admitting civil and criminal liability, you know, as would be the Federal Aviation Administration who allowed this to happen in the first place. And how many pilots have been sidelined either because they took it or because they haven't taken it? Do you guys have doctors that are coming forward? Do you have doctors that are coming forward that are saying this is more than just anecdotal evidence, that there's something consistent or something uh, systematic about what's going on? Yeah, we do. Absolutely. We actually work very closely with the uh, global COVID summit doctors and, and others, um, different cardiologists, um, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long who's the Army whistleblower on the DMED data. Anyone who doesn't know about that should certainly look up Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long um, and also Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers, who's an Army Special Forces flight surgeon, um, actually vaccine injured himself. 
And, and they have actually assisted us on these cases, um, on some of these medical cases, including uh, Captain Bob Snow and Cody Flint and Greg Pearson and others. So, yes, there, there is evidence coming forward. And, and the DMED database is very damning for anyone who chooses to pay attention. Um, you know, this has been completely squashed by the mainstream media. But I can tell you the evidence is there. You know, after the shot program started in the military, I believe it was in January of 2021. So the data was gathered from January of 2021 to October. And we see things like 300% increases in myocarditis, pericarditis, cardiac arrests, um, you know, rare soft tissue cancers, 1135% increase in neurological conditions. So you can just imagine how these things affect, you know, not just pilots, but all, all people across the world. And I think that's what's most concerning. And I assume the mainstream media either ignores you or just says you're debunked. Yeah, that, that happens very, very frequently. You know, obviously, uh, podcasts like yourself, uh, people like Bill Bigtree, um, Stu Peters, and many others, you know, they're, they're, they're brave enough to address these issues. Uh, the mainstream me media has covered some of this, you know, specifically back uh, recovering the stories about how the mandates themselves were, were affecting air travel and pilots. That's when they had the most interest. Now that we're coming forward with the stories of the vaccinated pilots, you know, very few people want to touch it. And that's understandable, especially when you consider the billions of dollars that have been paid out by the pharmaceutical companies um, to, to media organizations to promote the safe and effective narrative. You know, you're, you're, most people aren't getting the truth. If you're watching mainstream media and that's all you're watching, you're, you're seeing a very small fraction of what's actually happening in the world. How organic would you say your movement is? And what I mean by that is, are people searching you out or are you having to search other people out and persuade them that this is a that U.S. Freedom Flyers is an organization worth supporting and joining? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it absolutely started as an organic grassroots movement. That's how it started. It was out of necessity. You know, it began uh, with protecting our freedoms and our jobs. And when we accomplished that, you know, largely across the sector, um, and now we've, we've kind of, we've kind of um, revamped what we're doing at U.S. Freedom Flyers, which is now preserving um, the freedoms that we got back, but also more importantly, bringing accountability uh, for all the people who have been harmed. I think that's really important because without bringing accountability, you can only expect this will happen again. If there's no consequences for what was done, what's going to prevent um, these companies, these other organizations from, from doing this again to us, you know? And um, this freedom in this country was, was won with the blood of patriots and people making uh, great sacrifices to do the right thing. So even though the path is very difficult, and I can tell you it's not without its uh, ups and downs, um, some days are very high and others are very low, um, but, but we're going to continue pressing forward regardless of the cost. Because this is ultimately about preserving the freedoms that we had, we currently have in this country, and bringing back all the ones that we lost, which we know are astronomical. You know, the 9/11 post Patriot Act, all the things that have been stripped away from us, and and unfortunately, many people in this country don't even realize just how much freedom has been stripped away from us. And I think I think education is a very um, key component to what we're doing because if people don't don't realize the freedoms that have been, have been stripped from them, you know, why would they fight back? And, and I think it's just so critical that every person in this country um, get behind this movement of freedom and, and demand accountability from, from the government and, and the companies that work for. What, what's, the next, what's the next main group that you have? Because I know you guys go across multiple transportation uh, in industry. So what is the next biggest group besides the pilots? Would that be your truck drivers, train, Ubers? Who else is coming to you guys in full force? Well, we get uh, contacted almost every day by, by many different groups. There's people from the IT industry, uh, obviously throughout transportation, you know, truckers and, and sea shipping and, and um, uh, unrepresented members from uh, Screen Actors Guild, you know, reached out here recently. We've been collaborating with them. 
you know, there, there comes a point where, um, you know, you can't help everyone. And that, and that's really unfortunate that that's our goal to help as many people as we can, but it, it comes down to just an issue of volume and attorneys being able, being willing to take cases, because as we know, um, this can be very detrimental for an attorney's career, um, to, to step into some of these issues, um, especially if they work for a large law firm, um, who are predominantly liberal across this country. Uh, so what we need right now, you know, we need, we need courageous conservative attorneys, uh, to reach out to the U.S. Freedom Flyers, reach out to info at usfreedomflyers.org. Uh, we need to build a, a massive team uh, of people who are not afraid um, to step out and do the right thing, regardless of what their personal reputation across their industry. And, uh, you know, courage is contagious, and we're looking to band together to truly make an impact. How many people would you say are part of your organization right now? How many lawyers are on board and how many lawsuits are currently up and running? Uh, between our between our worldwide partners, I mean, there, there's there's hundreds of thousands, and in, in us, I mean, there's actually um, the uh, yeah we're we're forming uh, actually a, a group very similar to our the UK Freedom Flyers um, was responsible for forming a, a global coalition, which there's a Substack, and I can get that to you after we get off the show awesome. here. I don't have all the all the information in front of me, uh, but that Substack uh, is growing very quickly, and what we're doing is we're taking all these groups across the world throughout Europe. Uh, Freedom Flyer Canada is another one. Um, the Aussie Freedom Flyers. We're putting together this this um, this global uh, coalition of, of groups just like ours, and, and collaborating uh, with with legal resources and all different types of resources, information, medical studies, that type of thing, to put it together into comprehensive documents and comprehensive action that we can take worldwide. Because if we can change the the trajectory of the FAA and what's happening at U.S. Airlines, we change the trajectory on the world stage as many of the civil aviation authorities around the world base their procedures and policies off of what the FAA does. And without, just while we're on the topic of the FAA, they really dropped the ball here. Their, their entire charter is safety. And within, within two days of, of the FDA coming out and saying these emergency use authorization shots are good to go, the FAA said, okay, great. We're going to allow it for pilots, not just allow, but we're going to encourage it. And that's then what ultimately allowed the airlines to, to come out you know, with, with the mandates that they did. Uh, was because the FAA should have stopped it full stop. It's very unlike them to approve a medication it has not been on, you know, not been on the market for at least uh, 12 months. There's actually guidance in the aviation medical examiner's um, handbook that says that the pilot should not be taking a medication until it's, until it's uh, 12 months post FDA approval. And as we know, these shots are not actually FDA approved. They're under emergency use authorization. Because of all the pushback we, that U.S. free flyers and others gave the FAA, they, back in April, they actually changed the language and made an exception for the COVID-19 vaccinations. Of course they uh, did. Which is just unconscionable. They've done, they've done zero long-term safety studies. They realized that they had liability because we were calling them out on it. And we plan to bring litigation against them. So, you know, now, so now they're, gotten, they're, they're backpedaling um, and changing policy. Have you gotten any um, anything from any court uh, as far as a preliminary injunction? For instance, are you still flying? Or um, I, I, I'm not currently flying at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently out, but I'm not. It, it's unrelated, um, unrelated to, to the vaccine mandate. I see. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, there have no. Yeah, we're, we're you know, the, the biggest one of the big successes that we've had was getting them to roll back the mandates through through sheer noncompliance. You know, people really underestimate how how important, how powerful um, noncompliance is, especially when it's done on a large scale. If these large corporations can't along without you, um, they have no choice but to, to, to back down. How now much negotiation have you had? 
I, oh, ahead, I was I, just going to say, I made the mistake of getting the vaccine and, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, I was injured from it and took me about three months to recover, hopefully fully. Um, but I would never do it now if I knew, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I, I would, I would never do it. And I, I certainly salute you, you and your um, organization for standing up for this as someone who flies all the time. Um, the, the last thing we need is sick pilots or pilots with, um, you know, headaches or, or, uh, you know, thrombosis or any other sort of problem that would interfere with their concentration on what they're doing. So I, I, I do salute you for that. Have the well, airlines- no, I think it's so- Go ahead, sorry. No, you're fine. I said, what I think is just so incomparable here is the fact that the, that the media didn't cover, you know, they, they knew about these attractions very early on in Pfizer and Moderna and J&J. I mean, they, I mean, they've known about this stuff. If you look at the Pfizer studies, you know, I mean, the, the numbers are, are, are control, you know, of the injuries that were happening. And, you know, the FDA and the CDC, they all knew about this. And yet they pushed this, you know, on the American people and, and on the citizens of the world. And, and I think it's just, it's, it's one of the greatest evils that has been done in our lifetime. You know, when you know that something could potentially harm someone, um, harm or kill them to, to you know, and, uh, and, and you still put it out there and you, you tell people it's safe and effective and, and people trust these organizations, they trusted them in the past. And, um, They've literally led so many people in down a down a very dark road, and I think that's just you know something that should not be allowed in the United States of America. How much negotiation have the airlines been willing to to engage in with you guys, and what are they saying they're going to do for replacement pilots if you guys don't get vaccinated? When it comes to negotiations, I mean, there's very little. You know, they they certainly are not on our side whatsoever. The only reason they've been back up on on their initial stance was from non-compliance and realizing that they weren't going to uh, be able to function as a company if they didn't have the unvaccinated uh, flying along with the vaccinated and and you know some of these airline CEOs have come out there's animosity between vaccinated and unvaccinated crews you know while there there may be some on a small scale I can tell you that is that is largely not the truth at all uh, people get along very well and there's there's many people now I can tell you I, I've spoken to hundreds and, and received emails from thousands of, of people who are having uh, massive regrets. And, and the common thread is um, the common thread is that, you know, had we known, had we known the actual data, had we known the facts, not been lied to by the CDC, the FDA, the FAA, the companies, the unions, we would have we would have never um, gotten these gotten these gaps. And that's what I think is just so, so incredibly sad. And that's what I think the litigation being brought forward needs to be for all of us. This isn't litigation for the unvaccinated. It's, it's litigation for everyone who's been harmed in this because it, it, it's really everyone, um, you know, even if, even if the, the only harm was being lied to. I have a question. How surprised were you about the unions basically leaving you guys on your own? Uh, not surprised at all. Um, unions uh, don't do a good job of representing their members these days. Um, they are essentially autonomous political organizations to the bang of, of companies and the U.S. government. I mean, you see, they're out there, they're out there promoting political candidates, and um, many people that reach high levels within the union often go on to join airline management. It's almost like grooming. It's almost like a grooming place for airline management, and for people that have those aspirations. They're not going to push back too hard, you know, when it comes to um, when it comes to controversial issues at the airline. Because if you do that, you're you're certainly uh, 
ruining your prospects of ever becoming, uh, you know, airline management. I'm sure this this doesn't go for just airlines. This is these are organizations, you know, all across the country. Uh, but yeah, unions uh, unions need to just be completely demolished and rebuilt. Uh, there needs to be actual representation for the members. I can certainly tell you that I, you know, all the money that I've been to the unions over the years, I, I have not received uh, that that level of representation. Aren't you able to opt out of the political portion of those dues? Because when I was at Americans for Prosperity in New Jersey, we actually had a campaign to do that with teachers. So I'm not sure. Maybe your union is different. Maybe the, the rules are different. I'm not sure. But that's if it's possible. Yeah. Certainly, the members should should be looking to do things like that. So just in the case of where I'm at, you can opt out of the, you can opt out of union representation and yet they're going to take this from you. So it doesn't really do you a lot of good. Uh, yeah, they, they have it set up in, uh, set up in such a way where, where you're damned if you do and if you don't. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I can't speak for other unions. There are a number of unions that, that represent, you know, the airline industry, but I can tell you that um, they're, they're pretty much all one and the same, even though they have different, you know, right. different leadership. Is your organization close to big enough to start having an impact on union elections on who gets to be union represent representatives yes absolutely that is actually something that's being looked at for for um, for a future move and, and i think that's really important because all of the people that are members of the organization are people who felt like they run represented by the unions they pay dues to so yeah we could have a very powerful impact on on union elections and um you know, right now, that's not our primary focus, although I do believe in the future that should be something that we should absolutely pursue. Any more questions, folks? What's what's next on the horizon for you? Well, next on the horizon is, is bringing litigation to bring accountability. You know, I think accountability can come in a lot of different ways, um, but obviously growing the membership as well. Um, raising awareness um, and helping the vaccine injured is, is a really big thing that we do a lot of right now. There's so many doctors who have stepped forward and they're helping the vaccine injured among us. And that's something I'm very grateful for. And I know the people who are being helped are also very grateful for. Um, but but that that has been a huge part of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, helping helping get the, these vaccine injured individuals, um, get them help on solutions, um, you know, detox therapies that, that several of these doctors offer. And, and I, I think that's really important. You know, we can't, uh, my intention is never to demonize someone who, who went and got this jab, you know, especially unwittingly. It's about helping everyone, you know, first and foremost, because the human toll is, is the most important thing uh, that we're dealing with here. And I think that needs to, I think we need to keep that as a primary focus. This organization was started to help people. And that's something that, that I don't want to lose sight of. I think, I think that's what is powerful is when we all stand together and, um, and we make sure that we care for our neighbors. Yeah, I think the um, I think you guys are in a particularly good position to fight back because um, you know so many lives uh, depend on you guys every day. You know, there's two million people in the air every day in the United States, and um, and that is something that I think will crystallize the issue if you could only get it in front of a jury or in front of someone who will listen to you other than us you know um so i i do hope that uh, someone uh, picks picks up on this um you know, the, the other thing is that um steve kirsch who you may uh, know about through his his substack is uh, trying to figure out um 
a way around the, the act that gives immunity to um, these companies for distributing uh, a harmful substance. And I think he, he thinks he's found a way around it in the sense that, um, that they have liability for you know, dispensing these drugs as long as they don't know that they're dangerous. But as soon as they start knowing that they're dangerous, and you know, let's be honest, you'd have to be the monkey to not know they're dangerous now. Um, they actually uh, lose their protection from liability. And so he's trying to go uh, that route as well. So what I, I think there's a multi-pronged attack uh, on this. I think you're a very a good def uh, plaintiff. You know, you're, you're a very sympathetic plaintiff. Um, uh, your group. And so I, I hope that uh, you get a, a nibble in one of your cases. Um, and I hope you don't I, have I to do believe. Like, file them in the DC circuit, right? Because that's, that's a disaster. Right? <laughs> so the regulatory stuff all has to be filed in the DC circuit. So um, if you could find, a, you know, if you have a pilot who, who has been injured, uh, specifically injured um, by the vaccine. Perhaps he could, he could uh, file suit in a more um, friendly jurisdiction to human beings instead of the government. Supposedly more and more documents are being brought to light by like, you know, Bannon's group with Naomi Wolf, et cetera, that they knew back in December of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> that these things- no, they did, no, the, All the Pfizer documents are being published and you know, they're, 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 they're eye-opening um, as far as what, who knew what went, you know, very much so. You know, they, they knew, they knew, and, that, and that's what's chilling, you know, is, is the fact that you have to ask yourself, what, what's the agenda here? Uh, because they, there's so much evidence that has come out for anyone who cares to dig a bit, you know, it, it's very clear. It's very clear what the, what the data was back then, and it's been completely hidden from the American people. Yeah, you just got to get uh, past one thing I'd like to emphasize is summary judgment, right? I mean, as, as long as if you as soon as you get uh, past motion for summary judgment and get into discovery, that'll, that's the end of the world for that, right? That is the absolute end of the world. So that's that's victory, really. You don't even have to go to trial. Victory is just discovery in our in our particular fight. That's, yeah, that's right. Something that I'd like to emphasize is that that uh, this is not just an airline. This is not just an airline employee movement. Uh, I would love to implore passengers to please go to usfreedomfirst.org and sign up for our emails. I'm sorry for what we're doing. You can donate. I can get a donate. Um, this is an all-volunteer organization, and and the money that the money that you put in is going to the cause. And um, when you help us win this this front, this also helps win it for you because we're going to change the worldwide structure. I believe you know we can bring this litigation, and um, you know, we need everyone to get on board. These are obviously you know it's obviously a very very expensive endeavor. And our goal to change this, not just not just for employment and things like that, but but to in fact change it for for people across the world. Josh, do you guys have any proposed legislation or are you in the process of drafting proposed legislation that might solve this problem on a federal level? And secondly, do you have any members of Congress that have given you any kind of sympathetic ear that might champion such legislation if the Republicans take control in, in January? We do not currently, uh, we're not currently involved in the political realm um, at all as far as working in legislation, things like that. 
Um, Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida, you know, he has, he has been very supportive. He's actually done a press conference with us quite a few months back now. Uh, people like Ted Cruz and um, Senator Johnson have been very sympathetic, worked very closely with Cody Flint. And, you know, Cody Flint has been very instrumental. He's very involved in the political realms and, and also with U.S. Freedom Flyers. Yeah, Ron, Senator Johnson. Yeah, Senator Johnson has been very, and the only person in Congress who's been, um, potentially who's been good yeah. on this issue. And uh, the more uh, he can get involved, uh, I think the better. Yeah, he was at the forefront of that DMED um, information too, pushing to get that out there. So I think someone mentioned that the vaccine makers are immune. and They've been immune for, I think, a few years or two decades with some uh, federal law that was passed a few decades ago, I believe. They're immune from liability. The federal government is immune from liability. The FDA is immune. They're part of the federal government. The vaccine makers are immune. As soon as people learned about this, which I only learned a few months ago or a year or two ago that they're immune, as soon as that happened, nobody should have ever taken the vaccine again because if there's no accountability, there's no lawsuits, there's no no accountability, they have immunity, then there's there's you know, no reason why we should take it. Now, why would you think that, why would you have any optimism? Because I have no optimism that any of these court cases will win, especially in federal court, but same with state courts. Um, Josh, you can't hear me? Can anyone else hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. All right, well, Josh yeah, just sent a message. Well, ho hopefully he can hear me, or at least you guys can hear me. So I, I don't know why anyone would expect federal courts or any court to rule against the government. The federal courts are part of the federal government. The FDA is part of the federal government. The uh, NIH is part of the federal government. And the private pharma companies are essentially almost part of the federal government. Uh, they're cronies. I know it happens once once every few decades. Maybe the federal government rules against itself, one of its agencies. But I don't know why anyone would expect them to do that. And that's why, again, I don't believe as a voluntarist, the government should really exist or have any power over us. So hopefully we'll, we can ask Josh that question in the messenger if he can't hear us. Yeah, I think, you know, the misinformation and disinformation is bad. It's really bad. But I think what you just brought up, Elliot, is the worst problem, right? That there's no accountability, that these people in power, um, you know, all protect themselves against, you know, being held responsible for what they've done to, to people around the world, really. Every once in a while, a, a judge, uh, usually a, a Trump or a... Uh, you know, Bush judge will will rule uh, properly in these cases, and and that's why a multi pronged attack is required. You can't put all of your eggs in one lawsuit. You have to have different lawsuits in different jurisdictions attacking different parts of the problem, and of course that's expensive, which is why um, you know we have to we have to raise money for this. Um, Steve Kirsch is funding his own. Josh, you don't have to answer this question, but has Mark Levin taken any interest in this whole issue? May not be hearing me. Josh, can you hear us? Uh, okay, I got you. I just got you back now. Okay. Has Mark Levin taken any interest in this whole issue? Um, no, no, at least at least not for US free employers. Has anybody tried? Uh, we sent out, you know, multiple press releases. I can only assume, you know, we send out press releases quite frequently. And, um, you know, we have got a lot of media surrounding the issue, uh, but I, I have not personally spoken with Mark Levin. Yeah, pretty sad, pretty disappointing. Okay. You've Any been other? on Tucker Carlson though, right? 
Uh, yes, yeah, that's that was uh, back in, uh, in November, I believe it was. Now uh, that was leading up to to the mandate, um, to the cutoff dates, you know, for the mandate. Have you gotten any positive reaction from other media sources? Oh yeah, many, yeah, many, many media sources. You know, especially alternative media. You know, is is, is very interested in the issue and. And, you know what we found is, is is in the alternative media that those that's the most those are the most engaged audiences you know who actually um, who, who are who are the most supportive because they they realize what's going on and they realize what's at stake here and it's just incredible people you know some of what you know what you consider to be like smaller podcasts and things like that you know they they have people who are who, who listen because they know they're hearing the truth and I think you know that's the most important thing so I applaud people um, like your show here at Liberty Block they're actually putting out the truth. Um, that, that's so important because much of America is waking up and realizing that media is not where it's at. Um, Bill Maher, for one, who's been kind of nibbling at a red pill, has he picked up on this at all? Bill Maher has not, no. Which is interesting because certain things he's moved over. I mean, Naomi Wolf is probably the biggest red pillar because of the vaccine stuff, but... Yeah, it's interesting. The biggest guys with the biggest podcasts and radio shows from Mark Levin to Hannity to uh, Ben Shapiro, Daniel Horowitz is decently big. Um, and the, what's his name? The Blaze guy now. Um, and back, and back. I yeah, mean, back Shapiro back. is bad on the vaccines, but Daniel Horowitz is excellent. Yeah, yeah, he's been good on this stuff. But yeah, like Horowitz, I don't know if he's, if he's talked to Josh Yoder or um, mentioned the Freedom Flyers. He, he probably has, I would assume. But a lot of the biggest freedom, pro-freedom people who claim they're libertarian or big conservative champions are actually pretty tone deaf. And they'll talk about other things. Like, for instance, our, our state dictator used to be called governor. Now it's, the position is called dictator when they abolished the legislature for years at a time due to emergency. Dictator Sununu, who was a liberty Republican, he's so tone deaf. He doesn't care about corona fascism. He doesn't realize that's what people care about. And you know what he gave us? The big thing he gave us this year and says we should be happy? A cut in the sales tax from like 9% to like 8.9% or 8.5%. And nobody cares about that. I don't believe in taxes. I want tax cuts. I love tax cuts. But right now, corona fascism is the number one issue. And it is like, it fills 90% of what we care about for almost everyone in the state, especially those on the right side of the aisle. And he's so tone deaf, he keeps saying, why are you guys upset at me? I, I cut taxes a tiny bit on the sales tax. Yeah, because he only made corona fascism worse. So so a lot of uh, politicians, but also media people are so tone deaf, they keep saying the same thing. Like they don't realize corona fascism, the vaccines. It, it's That is what fills the, the issues. That's what's on the mind of, of almost every conservative, libertarian, even centrist, everyone to the right of center. And, and some in the center, that is the big issue. So yeah, a lot of people in media and politics are tone deaf. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, it's just incredible. You know, I mean, you look at politicians on both sides of the aisle, it's, it's just absolutely pathetic. You know, the, the lack of um, the lack of uh, time and, and um, energy that, that's gone into this, they're, they're all culpable in my opinion. Yes, and we're all old enough to remember when the liberals hated Big Pharma. <laughs> Even I'm old enough to remember. Yeah, that. isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that interesting how it shifts, you know, and how it shifts so quickly? Very, very quickly. I mean, almost overnight. So, so Josh, Josh, what you missed, what I was saying when you couldn't hear me was I was asking why you're optimistic or why you think there's any chance at all that federal courts who are part of the federal government will rule against federal agencies, which are part of the federal government. They're literally coworkers. Federal judges, I know they're supposed to be um, uh, neutral and, and nonpartisan and all that. But they're not. They are literally coworkers. They both work for the federal government, same as the FDA 
and the NIH and, and Pfizer is very close, technically private, but really essentially part of the DC government as well. So I, I have no confidence. I know once one in every billion cases, the federal government court rules against the government and in favor of the people, but it's extremely rare. And even when they do, there are ways to get around it and loopholes and other stuff and other parts of the court ruling that make it okay. Um, and also in my question, I was I was mentioning that when, when the, the manufacturers of vaccines were given immunity a few decades ago from their vaccines, that should have been the end. We should have all refused to take any vaccines. I didn't know about it. My parents should have you know, not given me vaccines if there was going to be zero liability, especially in the United States or anywhere in civilized world nowadays. We don't, if there's no liability, we don't do it, right? If there's, if there's going to be zero liability for the surgeon and you can't sue him ever, we're not going to get a surgery from him. We'll go elsewhere. So I, I want you to speak to, to those two points. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, suing the federal government can, can be a futile, maybe not completely futile, but yes, it certainly comes with its challenges. Uh, but we're also going after the companies, you know, and, and you know, th these, these things will take will take many years. You know, as you know, this litigation is not a quick process. I don't want to get people's expectations uh, up to where they think this is going to be resolved in a year. It's not. This is a very, very long road of bringing accountability. It's not something that happens quickly, something that absolutely has to be done. And, you know, one thing is, is you know, being cautious in where you file, trying to file in, in conservative districts, that, that type of thing. Uh, yeah, no, you, you bring up a, a very, a very extreme challenge and we're not, we're not naive as to what we're up against, uh, but that doesn't mean that we stop trying, you know, just, just because something is difficult doesn't mean that you don't do it. Josh, um, I have a question. Is it safe to assume that you were not an anti-vaxxer three years ago? Yeah, that, that's very safe to assume, you know, the things that I've learned over the past two years when I actually started doing my research on it, uh, it was just shocking to me. Um, and there, there are um, there are detoxes on the, on the market to get rid of, you know, like all the heavy metals and the different things that have been in these vaccines for years. You know, that's something that I'm that I'm currently doing, currently pursuing and actually feeling feeling a lot better now that I've started I've started doing it. You know, and I, I would encourage people to look into these um, some of these protocols. I mean, it's just incredible, you know, when you realize that the many of the vaccines they pushed down our throats for, for all these years and, and the other other medications from big pharma that are actually harming more than they're helping. Um, it's something that um, we have been just completely bamboozled. And, and um, you know, I think one day the truth will come to light. And when it does, I think the anger that that is going to be expressed towards pharmaceuticals and, and, and probably even the government over this for allowing it to happen um, is most likely going to be extreme. Well, you said anger at pharmaceuticals. Give me a second. We're able to pursue Purdue out of business for the drugs we don't like. We're not going after these for the ones that we're okay with. I mean, I would assume that a lot of people on my side of the aisle thought Bobby Kennedy was a total raving lunatic until a few months ago. And now I know that I'm starting to think, wait a minute, if he's not crazy about this, maybe he's not crazy about the other stuff. And I find that very scary. Politics. Yeah, I agree. As someone mentioned, the vaccine manufacturers are losing trust. Again, like three, four years ago, I probably trusted Pfizer and the FDA. I, I trusted private companies. I thought they had some accountability. I didn't realize that Pfizer was essentially part of the government. Now they're, they're all in bed together. Um, but, but coming from healthcare, being in emergency medicine for 11 years now, I, it's really disturbing, very, very sad that I think the vaccine makers, but also healthcare, the doctors and you know paramedics and nurses, everyone who recommended vaccines to people and had their trust violated their trust and may never get the trust back ever again. I spoke to one of the attending ER doctors for a while when, when she was doing a handoff report to me, a kid going to the ICU for severe myocarditis. He had cardiogenic shock. So his blood pressure was low because his, his uh, EF, his ejection fraction was like 50%, which is, which is at least lower than it should be. And he was in cardiogenic shock and dizzy and chest pain and 
you know, troponin high, really severe myocarditis, this, this healthy 17-year-old boy. And she was talking to me and, and she was essentially saying, people are not going to trust doctors anymore, ever. Once, once you lose the trust, um, like you can probably never get it back. So if you have a wife and you impregnate some other girl, you're probably never going to get her, her trust back ever in your life. So, you know, it's one of those things you can lose in one shot. And it's scary. It's, it's all of the vaccine and makers and the medication, uh, pharmaceuticals, but also medicine. So I'm a paramedic, you know, nurses, doctors, they may never be trusted again by a significant percentage of people, which is, which is a very radical shift in the way the world works. It is. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of natural therapies and a lot of things that we can do to take care of ourselves. You know, that we've just been, we've been um, completely pushed away from that type of mindset. You know, we've been pushed into, into the, the pharmaceutical, like um, um, large medical care, um, medical group uh, mindset. That's the only place where health comes from. It's not, you know, health is health is something that, that can be cultivated on a daily basis. You know, just things like a you know, good, healthy diet, you know, greens and exercise and and, and along with, you know, like supplementation, you know, like, like when you actually work, start working with like functional medicine doctors, like I am at the moment, just for myself, my, my health has, has improved significantly, you know, like through, um, you know, first of all, going through like a, a series of, of um, you know, very in-depth blood tests and, and realizing that some of the problems I was having were, were um, self-induced, really, you know, and um, I, I can tell you that it makes a huge difference when you, when you start um, getting your, your nutrition on track and, and even using like herbal remedies and things like that, it, it can make a, a fundamental difference in your life and how you feel. Very scary stuff to me. Josh, other than litigate, you guys seem to be focused on litigation. Is there anything else that, that can be done to try and fight this battle? I mean, are there any other groups that are, you know, engaged in a parallel fight? The left is so good at hitting us from all angles at, at once. Is there anybody else doing some? Is there anything else that can be done other than filing lawsuits to, to advance? The yeah, cause? absolutely. I, I think. Yeah, I think I think public education is absolutely critical, you know, and that's why podcasts like this are very important just to, to bring light to the issues at hand. And then you look at we already mentioned uh, Robert F. Kennedy's group, uh, Children's Health Defense. They're incredible. Uh, another one, uh, Leslie Manukian at Health Freedom Defense Fund. I know Leslie uh, personally, she's, she's a good friend and, and an amazing person and really making, uh, really making huge waves, making a huge difference in the work that she's doing. You know, I think it's so, it's so important that, that um, organizations like this band together, uh, because when we come out as a united force, we, we really stand the chance to make a fundamental change in the country. Where do you see, where do you see this going? I mean, what kind of fundamental change do you see happening? When you when you change public perception, um, then you change policy. I think once people realize that we've been completely let down and lied to by our government, uh, that's when you get a government shift. As long as we have fair elections, right? Uh, but but at some point, um, you hit you hit critical mass, and, and and people start to start to demand change. I don't think we're quite there yet, um, but I think we're getting there. You know, more more and more, like every day, as as new information comes out. And um, the, the frustrations that I just see uh, being expressed, you know, like through the emails that I get and things like that, it's, it's many people who who have gone along with the narrative for a long time. And they say, hey, I, I saw the show you did. I saw this podcast or maybe I watched, you know, I was on, on Substack and I'm learning all this new information and, and my mind is being blown. And now I'm telling all my friends and family, I, I think that's the type of thing that we need to encourage. Because um, let, let's not forget that our, our country was started a, as an idea. And essentially what we're starting again, we're starting a new idea. Um, which, you know, people used to understand, but it's, we, we've been programmed uh, for many years um, to, to go along with the narrative. And I think that's what we're trying to break here. But let me ask you this, as far as education is concerned, are, are, there, are there any studies or papers that 
that are being written or that are compiled that you can start sharing with either legislators or with the public in general as to the, the potential harm and the threat to the public of pilots passing out as a result of having taken these shots? Yeah, so with the um, the Global Aviation Coalition that's on Substack, that is literally the uh, one of the primary things that we're looking to do there. Um, then you obviously look at uh, you know Steve Kirsch and all the all the data that he's putting out. But uh, one of the most important ones I think, and that I've been pushing really hard, is the DMED data uh, from Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long and Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers, the the Senate whistleblowers. When, when people get into that data and and they understand it, uh, that that makes the case right there. That is um, that is highly accurate data. That, that cannot be refuted. And um, because you, you see like a five-year average and then you see the six-year where all these, all these, this increase in like uh, in disease processes that have happened um, post, post uh, COVID-19 vaccination. If, if that were actually, if the mainstream media were to push that data, um, you would see a shift in this country, I mean, within days. But unfortunately it's being covered up because they, they do realize that there would be a massive shift and that it, it would not go well for the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers and, and, and the medical system as a whole. Uh, so in three weeks, uh, a bit less than three weeks, starting like June 20th through June 26th, there's a massive Liberty Festival up in New Hampshire. It's going to, it's beyond sold out. 3,000 people will be there and they'll be around half from New Hampshire, half from other states or around the world. And it's all libertarians, some conservatives, some anarchists, but mostly libertarians. It's a massive fest camping festival, campground for a week and motels and everything with going to be thousands of speeches, debates, other events. Um, I'm speaking four or five times. We're going to have some big panels on uh, state independence, secession and all that. Um, what can I do to promote U.S. Freedom Flyers and or do you want to maybe come and see if you could speak at one of the venues because they have various tents and venues where people can speak throughout the week? Uh, would you consider coming, if possible, if we get you a speaker ticket or something, um, or volunteer or something? Or what can I do if I'm there? Because I'll be speaking about Corona fascism and other issues as well. Yeah, I, I would love to do that. That's amazing. That's I've been doing a lot of that um, speaking engagements. Obviously, these podcasts and things. Yeah, it's something I would be definitely very interested in. And if I can't make it, I'll be happy to get with you offline and let's let's have a conversation about it about how how you can help and how people can get involved. You know, I think that's really important, but yeah, that, that's, um, th these are the types of groups that really need to be um, engaging because they're obviously, they are, um, these are issues they take seriously. That's why they take time out of their, out of their busy lives to show up. And um, you know, those types of people, it doesn't require, um, you know, very few people can actually make a, a very large, like fundamental change. You know, it, it's the passion behind it. And that's always what I try to impress on people. You know, don't don't look around for a large group to do something. Look at what you can do on a daily basis to make a difference. So, Alu, you know, like everybody in New Hampshire, is it your sense that they have any clue about this whole organization, that they're up on this at all? Um, I, I don't know who in New Hampshire knows about U.S. Freedom Flyers. Those who are very big on Corona fascism, like Melissa and the others and the health freedom people here, we've had a health freedom group actually here for decades. They probably know about U.S. Freedom Flyers. I don't know if they work with them officially or not, but I would assume Melissa and Leah and, and all the others who are in this stuff, Tim Lane, who's a state rep, who's been throwing bombs about this stuff for like the last year or two, um, really pissing off the governor because he's big on health freedom. You know, I, I'm sure they know about U.S. Freedom Flyers, but I, I can ask them. So I would think at the very least, we should be able to push some literature out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that would be incredible. And, and, you know, something else that's really awesome, Banners for Freedom is, is a group that was started by a husband and wife team. And um, that definitely go check out their website. It started out with putting up a single billboard in their hometown because they wanted to do something to help start getting the truth out. 
and now they're putting up billboards all around the country with um, with with information on on vaccine injuries and deaths. And they've started working. They've been very kind to work with us Freedom Flyers, and they're getting our message out on billboards all across the nation. And actually, in June, we're we're going to be up on a on a Times Square uh, billboard, uh, which is just incredible. And that was donated to us by them. So you know, I think that, that's once again all that's these organ. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think I think all of us, you know, this is why we have to, to collectively put our resources together and work together because there's so many people doing great things in, in whatever area they're working on. And, and when we combine these resources and the knowledge that we have, you know, there, there's so many things that, that I don't know or resources that I don't have. And, you know, maybe you're working on a project where, you know, we, we could align these projects and be and be even more impactful than we're being individually. I think that, that's so important. Yeah, we're all working on a lot of projects. I, I'm working on a billion projects and juggling right now. Um, I published this like two, you can't see that, but like it's, it's a book called Current of Fascism. Um, published it like a year ago now, um, before any other book came out besides maybe Alex Berenson's first booklet. But there was nothing out there. So I wanted to write about Corona Fascism and kind of expose some of the stuff. Right. But that was before the vaccines. Now I got to do an update that'll right. be this thick because there's a whole lot more to say now about this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that's truly amazing. You know, I, I love to see that you're doing that. Um, you know, literature literature is just critical because there, you know, up until now or up until recently, there just hasn't been much out there on it other than the official narrative. And as we know, the official narrative is just being blown left and right, you know, day by day. And it's it's people like you who are who are standing up and doing that that are making a fundamental difference. And by the way, I know what the polls are probably saying 50, 80, 99 percent support the vaccines and love the vaccines. I all I know is in New Hampshire. And I talk to people in libertarian circles, obviously they're 99% against the vaccines. But when I go to the gym, that's a pretty decent and regular population of people, men, women, old, young, black, white. In the gym, every person I've spoken to, I'm talking about big um, black powerlifters, young women, uh, nurses, pharmacists, women, men, everyone. Whenever I mention the vaccine, they say, I'm not getting that, hell no, I'm never getting that vaccine. So everyone I mentioned right, but, in the gym, they all say gym, that. You at the gym, you're dealing with a population that's skewed towards being healthy, right? I mean, yeah. it's the scared people who aren't healthy that are going to be more inclined to take the vaccine, I would think. Well, yeah, I know, I know the it's um, not that popular. A lot of people really consider the vaccine to be crap and super unhealthy, just not that safe and effective. Yeah, I do think the worm is turning somewhat. I think some of these physicians and doctors, you know, throughout the country are now either not really pushing the vaccine on their patients or just like totally backpedaling. At least that's what I get from reading Alex Berenson in the last couple of days. So, you know, I, I, I think people are starting to see what the truth is. And many of these people who are in the healthcare industry who are caring for patients are now starting to say, wait a second, I don't know if I want to be pushing this any further, seeing what, what's starting to come out about, about the vaccine. Josh, can you do me a favor and can strongly consider writing a book? Uh, maybe, maybe one day when I have some free time. Right now, it's uh, yeah. it's uh, twenty I, hours I a day, seven days up. a week. My dad, Josh, I got another question for you. In a decade, when I have time, no one ever has any time. But yeah, got to make time. Do the members in your group, do the members in your group have any issues with getting alternative therapeutics like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine? Have they had any? Have your pilots? Have any of them been hospitalized and then had problems being uh, let go from hospitals, uh, you know, without, uh, you know, without refuse, you know, whether, without a refusal to accept treatment, um, uh, you know, because that's what ordinary people are facing. Is that something that your organization has been facing as well? 
I, I do know of a couple of cases. Yeah. And we, we have, um, we have some affiliates who, who help with that, who help get people out of these hospitals. And, and, you know, that, that's so critical, you know, people are getting put in there being given remdesivir and they're being killed left and right. You know, like Dr. Brian Artis and others, they talk about this. Um, it has not been a widespread problem within our group. Uh, but it's certainly as far as, as far as people taking ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, yeah, m many of us, most of us, um, you know, have gotten it or, you know, have taken it. Um, I would say the biggest issue is actually getting it. That's probably the, the greater problem, not getting people to take it. I mean, people definitely want to take it. Have you guys been working with, um, you know, the frontline doctors, the, you know, the, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough and, and that group? Yeah, actually, yeah. Peter McCullough was very helpful um, in helping out Captain Bob Snow, you know, with his cardiac event that he had down in Dallas a few weeks back. Um, and yeah, frontline doctors, I, I know quite a few of them. I've spoken with several of them at events and things like that. Yeah, they, they've been very helpful and we're super grateful to all those people um, who, who have come out with literature and resources and, and have even have, have helped our members, you know, when they were in the hospital or having issues. And we've had very good results, you know, uh, especially with the with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, you know, the people that have gotten sick. And I, I know I know pilots that, that fly to Mexico and other places and, and you know, um, down South America, et cetera, that often bring back, you know, large quantities with them and distribute them among their friends. So, yeah, it's it, it's been a group effort and um, we, we've been very effective in what we've been doing. And obviously we need continued support as we go forward um, in many different levels. And I think the collaboration with these other groups is just so critical. Yeah, I would think, I mean, I, I've litigated a couple of vaccine mandate cases and they actually submitted a, you know, I got one of the doctors from frontline doctors to give me an affidavit for, for our case. Um, they're, they're super cooperative and I would think they're a great organization for you guys to work with. They, they are fantastic. Yeah, I, I have a number of friends within the organization that have just been fantastic. Anybody else? Any objections to me saying the S word? Yeah, don't say the S word. You're scaring people off. <laughs> so well, I don't even know what the S word is. Yes, well, I'm not much of a rule follower. So, so uh, Josh, on this show a lot, especially me, we talk about peaceful separation. As I'm sure you've seen over the last two years, around half of the people in the United States are never going to be on our side. They love, let's go, Brandon. They love uh, authoritarianism, Marxism, they'll take all of the vaccines or any other biologic that their politicians recommend because they believe politicians are gods. And, and they will always be that way. And it's around half the people or maybe a third and a third and a third and a third in the middle. Um, ultimately, have you thought about we're going to need a peaceful separation eventually if it's North Carolina is a conservative state or they split the state in half? I know maybe the eastern part is, is more authoritarian. I know New Hampshire is very libertarian. Have you thought about national divorce? I know it's been trending on Twitter for a few weeks now, like on and off. Yeah. Um, eventually, these people who are Marxists who want North Korean style or Chinese style communism, like almost pure authoritarian communism, they want that. Whereas we want conservative or libertarianism or, or voluntarism. We're going to eventually have, have to separate. Have you thought about that? And what are your thoughts on that? I have. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge supporter of the, the parallel economy concept. And um you know, the only the only issue that I have with with an actual like separation, like dividing states and that type of thing is it probably comes with violence. And as someone who's been to war and has uh, a good amount of experience with that, I can tell you that that's the very last thing I would ever want to see to this come to this country. Uh, there are many people out there that are calling for it. And I can tell you it's it's, it's horrible and, and not something that I would ever want to see in this nation. I think what we need to ultimately do, I think we need to take over as free thinkers and, and let's 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 show them what, what a better system is. 
you know, I think a lot of people would fall in line if they actually, if they actually uh, saw, saw the product of a, of a true free society, you know, maybe except for like, like the freeloaders who we don't want to do an ounce of work in their life. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm very interested in those concepts. Um, my, my big thing would be to, to stay away from any, any violent aspect of it uh, because with, uh, you know, violence just, just absolutely tears nations apart. And that's something I would, I would hate to see happen to this. That's why me and some of the others here are all in peaceful separation. We, when we submitted legislation that would have been a constitutional amendment, it was a, a, a right. bill. It literally said in it, peaceful separation. And if it passed the House of Senate, it didn't, but it would have gone out to the ballot for the people. And it literally said peacefully right. declare independence from D.C. and we're a sovereign nation. So I, I agree. We have to really stress that we want peace. That way uh, we don't want violence <clears throat> at all. Not to belabor secession. I fully support that. But this country, unfortunately, is at each other's throats. And the only reason we should do something is because we are, unfortunately, devolving into violence. I don't even want to know what happens, A, after Roe v. Wade, which may or may not be overturned, and B, after elections in November, if what happens is going to be what's predicted to happen. So unfortunately, I think we're, we're tending towards violence right now. Forget the well, let me Let me follow up on that. And, and Josh... Don't you think that the, the, the vaccine mandates themselves are violence? I mean, Ooh. they are. So, so <laughs> they I mean, in fact are. That is violence. Wow. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, that, you're, subje- would, you're being subjected to violence that's that's threatening your, your members' lives. That's so correct. I don't know how how do you reason with that? How do you I mean, you we, we've, we're trying to reason with them. We're trying to persuade them. But I mean, ultimately, if you're not willing to to, to fight back, I'm not sure how you're going to win. Right. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I, I completely agree agree with it. It, it is violence and, and it has cost lives, you know, in the form of suicide. You know, we saw quite a few suicides back in the beginning. Some people, you know, back in the beginning of the mandates, people thought they were losing their jobs. And, and it was it was very, very destructive. And what it's done to mental health across this country, um, it, 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 it's unconscionable. I, I talked to a couple of um, just recently, I talked to a couple of um, um, psychiatrists who were telling me that like their patient loads have just gone through the roof. You know, it's been related to to these mandates. They, they saw what we were doing at U.S. Freedom Flyers and they actually reached out and said, you know, we'd love to help. There's a lot of people like that. And, and uh, another interesting conversation that I had very recently was someone that's high level in the um, insurance uh, insurance industry, specifically within aviation. Uh, called me and she said, I, I, I see the numbers, you know, within aviation. I see what's happening, not just aviation. Um, but she said it's even worse than you think. And she's working on compiling data. And when that data comes out, I will be happy to share it, showing just how bad the situation has gone. Would it be safe to assume that Pete Buttigieg is not helping your organization? Uh, it'd be very safe to say. I'd say he's probably uh, the, probably almost the root of the problem in some cases. Uh, you know, it's, it's because of the Department of Transportation. Yeah, I'm not sure what uh, what his expertise are in transportation. I would say uh, probably zero. I think any one of us on this podcast could probably do a better job than uh, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, and I can ride a bike a little better than him as well. I'm a decent bike rider. So I, I don't know if anyone mentioned yet the, the precedent that is set by the federal government, the government or through deputizing private companies. We all know it's them. The fact that they can force an injection of something into our muscle, an intramuscular injection of any substance at all, whether, you know, vaccine or medication, th- that the precedent's been set. They've done it. They forced everyone by various means of coercion. Mm-hmm. That means that the next time there's something they consider important, any kind of medication, 
whether it's to subdue us, uh, brave the world or, or whatever, what, to make us happy or subdue us or not rebel or comply, or if it's something for toxic masculinity, which almost every politician, especially on the left, agrees is, is a, a major epidemic, maybe give men estrogen, which essentially combats testosterone as far as the endocrine system, maybe force every male because of toxic masculinity to inject estrogen into their body. The president's been set, the government has the authority, everyone agrees the government has the authority to force every human in the United States to inject something, even if it's not even FDA approved or safe, and there's no no liability for anyone. So has have well, people I think Josh, how scary the president is? I, I think Josh um, uh, pointed to the real solution to this problem, and that is simply non-compliance. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'm not asking anybody to go to jail necessarily, but uh, on the other hand, if you can convince your coworkers or neighbors or friends or relatives or whatever that you will not comply with any sort of directive, um, there are strength in numbers. I believe somebody, one of the J6ers was just sentenced to, I think 23 years or is going to be sentenced to 23 years, an ex-military person. And it also bring up, I think I can use his name. He's an ex-representative, I believe in New Hampshire, J.R. Hole very active in New Hampshire, and he had his children removed from him. Because I don't know if they've been removed, but the police are seeking, the CYF are seeking to take his kids. There might be some core battles, but they're trying to take his kids. Right. They, they, he mentioned to someone that he treated his child successfully with ivermectin. <clears throat> so non-compliance, they've shown us, comes at a very, very heavy cost. Okay, but he said yes. strength in numbers. If we have 50 million people doing it, yeah, and we do, but we don't have 50 million people anyway. The other, you know, the other thing is we, you know, we're, we're talking on Facebook and on YouTube and they remain popular, but I'm increasingly seeing how Rumble and um, Odyssey are uh, having more and more content and are drawing me in more and more. And um, the, uh, the text-based social media's media are not doing that. Um, as much, whether it's it's you know Gab or Minds or something like that, but I do think that the the Rumble local Substack, I am spending a lot of time Rumble locals and Substack, and I think that as more and more people sort of migrate to them for the real content that you can get, rather than you know the idiocy that's on the news or on the the web, I think uh, you know our our side will will definitely, uh, you know, red pill a lot more people. Uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, I, I agree. I, this on, we should be putting this on Rumble instead of Facebook. You know what I mean? Well, it goes also on Rumble. Okay, good. And and I would also tell you, I would encourage uh, your listeners to go check, go to Substack and check out the Global Aviation Advocacy Coalition. It's the worldwide coalition of groups just like U.S. Freedom Flyers coming together. And uh, the amount of information that's being put out there, it's growing very rapidly. It was just founded a few weeks ago, and it's already gaining a lot of popularity. It's being done with Steve Kirsch now and, and, and several others. And there's a lot of good information there. And there's going to be a lot more to come here in, in, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but, but I can tell you that, that the global narrative is shifting. You know, I can, you know, I can speak specifically to what's happening in aviation. And, and there's just there's so much vaccine regret among pilots and, and flight attendants and other, other employees. And, and I think we just we need to do this across the board, across all industries. You know, this is going to be um, this is going to be critical. Um, all of us just just joining together and pushing back. And I think that that's going to be the most probably one of the most effective things that we can do. 
Yeah, yeah. I just did it. It's gaacoalition.substack.com. gaacoalition.substack.com. Got it in the chat. Excellent. Josh, where else can people follow you and what's the best way to help you? Um, you can follow us at usfreedomflyers.org. You can click on in the news. We try to keep uh, you know podcasts and things like this posted in there. Um, they can uh, best help us by donating um, at the current time. Um, conservative attorneys across the country who would like to get involved in this type of litigation should please reach out to me. Info at usfreedomflyers.org. It's flyers with a Y. And, um, you know, we're, we're building a team. Uh, we're, we're growing the team every day. And, um, you know, spread the word. Tell your family and friends. And um, help, help, people to, uh, help people to understand what we're up against here and, and what's actually happening in the world. And let's, uh, let's change the public narrative. Josh, my understanding of your organization is it's nationally based, but there's no like, for lack of better words, local chapters, state chapters, like who coordinates for you in area by area? That's correct. We're actually I have a meeting tomorrow. We're building out um, we're building out uh, various committees um, to, to, to get more involved um, um, locally and, and on, on a um, on a, uh, you know, obviously on, on the national level, but but also on the local level. And um, so it's a, it's a work in progress. It's something that we recognize the value in. And uh, we're gonna have a committee that, that deals with nothing but um, just making connections with other organizations and, and you know um, collaborating and, and bringing in new information and seeing how we can best help each other. So I can't have a pilot on here without asking some plane questions. What, what, what aircraft did, did you normally uh, fly? Uh, currently, I'm on the Airbus uh, 320 series. Oh, okay. All right. So, do you like the whole fly-by-wire stick on the left thing? I mean, as opposed to the the Boeing, you know, uh, thing. You like that? Or I'm, I'm not one of those people that gets that in the weeds. Quite frankly, I don't really care. I, it's a <laughs> revenue that's produced in the airplane that I fly. <laughs> all right. All right. I thought I, people have strong opinions on this. I just want you're to a pilot. You definitely <laughs> you're a pilot. You definitely want to stay out of the weeds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to commend you for your bravery and your courage. Um, it's it's not. I mean, I I say that sincerely because it's not easy for people to do, to do. You know, we've had a lot of people who've been had a proverbial gun pointed at their head to take these vaccines. I I know a lot of them, and it was just like you said earlier, a jab or your job, and a lot of people took the job. And uh, you know, I just. Now, obviously, there's people that I know and care about who had to do it as well. And, and I just pray that, you know, down the road, there aren't other consequences. But again, I commend you. Well, thank you. Good things in life don't come easily. And, and um, you know, things, things of value are worth fighting for, uh, regardless of what that cost is. You know, I always just point people to the to the to our forefathers. You know, look at the founding the founding people of this nation. Look at the sacrifices they made. Their their families were killed. They were killed. They lost everything. I think that's kind of what we're up against now. You know, we need people who are willing to sacrifice everything to to make a difference for this nation. You know, Josh, I have no idea what your family situation is. It's none of my business. But I always joke around. You know, 250 years ago, Martha saying, "George, why can't you stay home like all the other men? Why do you have to go out and rabble rouse?" And but it's the rabble rousers who got us a country. It's not those who stayed home quietly and, you know, play bridge. But it's very hard. Yeah, that, that's correct. It's um, it, it's certainly a sacrifice. I'll be the first person to tell you that. And I know that you are sacrificing as well. 
and it's it, it's worth it. You know, this isn't about this isn't about what happens today or tomorrow, but it's about the legacy that we leave. You know, for future generations and and the preservation of world freedom. If this country falls, the entire world falls. We absolutely have to take a stand right now and, and make sure that that we um, stay in the world as, as as a beacon of hope and freedom. And uh, let's let's turn this thing around. All right, I'll put on my clergy hat and say, God bless you. <laughs> yeah. No. God bless you guys as well for all of you for what you're doing. Um, I, I appreciate it. And uh, any prayers are certainly appreciated. It, it makes a huge difference. And I can tell you that um, we, we would have never gotten where we are without this being a God-led movement. It, it would be impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I want to thank you also uh, as a conservative attorney. I'm hoping to work together with you and help fight this battle. It's a battle that's worth fighting and it's worth winning. Uh, and I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of the efforts that you've made. And I'm really glad that you came on to tell us your story today. Um, Steve, I don't know if you want to you want to turn to another segment. And yeah, Josh, if you want to stay, you can stay. Josh, if you want to drop off, that's OK, too. Josh, if you, we can be in touch with you and you'll let us know what we can do to help, whether it's Porkfest or anything else. Um, some of us work hard and try to help. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I do unfortunately have to go. I have another engagement that I have to that I have to get to. Um, and Elliot, please reach out to me and uh, let's collaborate on New Hampshire. Thank you so thank you much. Thanks, yeah, Josh. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. We'll You're talk. Welcome. Okay. We'll talk. Thank have you. a great day. Since we touched on courts, anybody want to tell us how shocked they were at the Sussman verdict? <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Come on. I was going to turn that over to you. I was going to let you talk about it. But, oh, I could give two craps about that. But go ahead. Yeah, everybody knew that Sussman wasn't going to have anything stick. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's obvious. He, he was obviously guilty of, as I said, he was on the chat. He was obviously guilty of lying to the FBI. It's just that I don't think lying to the FBI should be a crime. You know, that's the problem. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure you could get him, you know, if, we, if there were 12 libertarian jurors on the on the jury for Sussman, I mean, they would have come to the conclusion that uh, he was an awful human being and a reprobate, and they would have acquitted him because lying to the FBI should not be a crime. So I'm not... Wait a second, Ed. So you think that what Jesse Smollett did in lying to law enforcement shouldn't be illegal? Um, there's, well, I guess... It's a little different. There's a difference between, I guess, lying to the lying to the police and incidental lies to federal government agencies like FBI is a crime. That is a a clear violation of free speech. Technically, right now, the the federal law is written and and correct me if I'm wrong, you lawyers here. uh, My understanding is anything that's not true or even concealing or even messing up or neglecting any fact in the universe to a federal government employee is a crime punishable with five years in prison. Jussie Smollett did a fake hoax crime, fake lying to police about a crime that happened to him. I think there's a big difference there. Yeah, yeah we, but didn't we, Sussman lie about the, the source of where he got the, the yeah. Russia collusion hoax stuff? I mean, right. during right. A, in the middle of an investigation? I mean, that seems like a pretty material fact. Oh, I, yeah, I mean, pretty he's, obvious. again, he's obviously guilty. The, the issue is that, you know, how I would mean, you get the country for three years? I think there should be some pretty heavy... Uh, yeah. against that but it's never the, the problem is Sussman Sussman didn't wreck the country the the FBI and the DOJ wrecked well yes and like they say it's it's funny I was looking at an article right before this show and somebody said the the reason that we have to say what he testified to or what he did was not material is because the FBI was all set on going after Trump anyway yeah. <laughs> so the argument is the FBI is so corrupt they didn't need him 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously he's scum and, and he, 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 the whole organization should be arrested for, you know, all of the awful things that they did, you know, whether it's the Hillary Clinton campaign or the FBI itself, I mean, the whole FBI should be abolished, right? I mean, that, that's where we're at. I think so, Sussman is just a, a clown, you know. But what, was it a tainted jury pool, like Daniel saying in the chat? Yes, there were or, four jurors that or, were. Or was, it, or was it a bad case, or was it both? There were four juries that were tainted, but that doesn't mean the entire jury was tainted, right? It's I mean, DC. Yeah, but look I where the case, look where the, yeah, exactly, Elliot. Look where the case was tried to begin with. You're not going to get any, but they were all tainted. Whether the three of them didn't work, family, uh, friends, whatever. The jury of your peers in your district is a joke because we all know that. The biggest difference in the universe is the people of Wyoming and the people of D.C. So nothing else matters as much as where the trial is held. That's actually the most important factor. It doesn't matter whether you committed the crime or not. It matters where it is. If it's a political case like this one, obviously a high-profile federal political case, it, the biggest the biggest factor is actually like what where so, the jury pool is from. So basically, exactly. th this just reaffirms our school of thought that they all get away with it. If you're a leftist or you know you're an elitist. In DC, you're gonna you're gonna get away with it. Yeah, I want to bring up <laughs> something a lot more serious, possibly. I don't know if you guys got a minute to look at the story. It's from a couple of days ago. Um, there's a few stories about it. Obama officials covertly tried to undermine Trump by meeting secretly with Iran over nuclear deal. Not the first time. That was right after the dog bites man story, right? <laughs> I mean, Kerry's gone behind the back of a government. I, I think we're getting really close to treason and nobody cares. Now, if Trump would have done such a thing, obviously. And again, when we talk about there's no consequence, there's no consequence for anything. Well, they were going behind Trump's back even right at the beginning of his administration. I mean, they did it in the open. So that doesn't surprise me. Yes, they're all guilty of treason or I shouldn't say guilty of treason as, as a legal matter, but, but close. yes, they're, they're, they're at least spiritually treasonous. And, you know, I, I've said a million times on this show, everything the left does, every accusation from the left is an admission. They, they accuse us of being traitors and, and insurrectionists. They're the insurrectionists. They are trying to destroy this country every single day. Yeah, unfortunately, doing a lot more than trying. I wasn't so going to talk more about so other, you know, but, other topics I think we should get through, uh, you know, quickly, uh, a couple of white pills uh, and a black pill. I'll go with the black pill first. And that is that the, the uh, four-star Admiral, uh, Rachel Levine, who is the deputy director for health, has established under the Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Environmental Justice showing our commitment to ensuring no one is left behind as we work toward a healthier future, especially vulnerable populations on the front line of pollution and other violent, uh, uh, environmental health issues. So oh, Lord, help us. Admiral Levine did that while, you know, between when she was scratching her balls. Uh-uh, don't, don't, don't do the she. That's a he, he. Don't even throw that she crap out there. Eddie. They, they, they. He, it. he, it. he's got Adam's apple, he's a he. Yeah, you can put um, you could put what is that lipstick on a pig? It doesn't change what the heck it is. It's an ugly man. And uh, Mr. Golly. Lee certainly is an ugly man. Anyway, Thanks. that's the that's the black pill. Uh, uh, the white pill, uh, I guess, I, you know, and I, I think is the um, 
is the Depp Heard trial. Uh, uh, Johnny Depp was awarded $8.35 million net um, for Heard's defamation of him, um, basically said, making up stories that he um, was violent towards her when there was no evidence. Did she that, get anything in the countersuit? Well, yeah, I mean, he got 10 million plus 5 million um, uh, punitive, 10 million mm -hmm. compensatory plus 5 million punitive. The 5 million was reduced by statute to 350,000. And yeah, then in the part. countersuit, she got 2 million on one of the counts. So that reduces the net to 8.35 million from her to debt. She got $7 million in the divorce. So this means that she has to give that back plus uh, 1.35 million. Um, you know, the, the issue here is not so much that two mentally ill uh, celebrities who had a terrible marriage, um, you know, are having a fight. It's, it's that, uh, is that um, it's an example of why we don't quote, believe all women. That is, we believe all evidence not just all of them. Well, that, yeah, because that all started with the Me Too movement, which was the yeah. biggest crock, and all it was doing it was vilifying with, men. Tony Barrett, didn't it? Or, or with um, people who accused Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, uh, men do uh, abuse their spouses, uh, but women abuse their spouses as well, and just because... And, and I think the important thing is that sometimes uh, women lie about abuse because they're narcissists, like... Amber Heard. And I think this sort of brings it out into the public eye. And I think it will lead to a little bit more scrutiny on these um, potential outrageous uh, claims made by some, women, not all, but some women that are false. So I think that's a white bill. Yeah, I think it's great because I know when the whole Me Too movement started, I was not on board at all. I just kept looking at it like, oh my gosh, these girls are going to see this and they're going to say that my teenage boy did this or my 20-year-old boy did this because they're ticked off because they didn't get what they wanted. And it was just setting up a generation for disaster of false accusations. I was just, so I'm glad that it happened this way. Yeah, the left is always about, uh, you know, dividing people by race or sex or, you know, um, <laughs> mental health. <laughs> Uh, and uh, this was this the, the whole Me Too movement um, is just uh, you know another example of that. I mean, again, not that there aren't husbands that abuse their wives and they should be prosecuted, but uh, I think it's a lot less. Um, I think it's a, a lot less uh, one-sided than is portrayed in the media. Well, I think I've said this before, way back thirty years ago, when I was in social work school. And we had a big unit on domestic violence and there were six or seven assigned writings and one that was optional. And the optional one was the study that said domestic violence was 50-50. So that was optional. I happen to have read it. They've known that for a long time, but you're just not allowed to say it. So it will yeah. be interesting to see if the fact that he went to the trouble of suing and at least preliminarily winning something will make any difference, will dampen this business at all. I'm going to bet that all this gets wiped out on an appeal. Is that anybody else agree with me? I'm not sure. I, you know, again, I was watching uh, Riketa, Nick Riketa stream, and uh, he did say that this was the largest defamation verdict that he has ever seen. 
Now that doesn't mean it's the largest defamation verdict ever. It just means that it's the largest one he's ever seen. Um, as far as appeal, I'm sure they will throw money you at it. You have appeal. to prove malice, right? Actual malice, yes. How and, do you and, prove that? Um, basically, as far as I understand it, you have to prove that they said things knowing that they were false. Or that, no, or that they entertained serious doubt about the truth. And, and that's different for public and private people? And was Johnny Depp considered a public person? He's a public figure. So it's They're a both. higher bar, right? And yes, it's different for private individuals. So it was a very high bar for him to win. Yes. Very interesting. Well, see, the thing is that most of the, most defamation cases don't get past uh, the anti-slap laws in certain jurisdictions. And they also don't get past motion for summary judgment. This one, Virginia apparently does not have a particularly strong anti-slap law. And, um, and it did get past motion for sub summary judgment because everybody knows what she said was false. I mean, it's, it's, you have to go way out of your way. And I think they got a reasonably fair judge miraculously and um, the trial was amusing. Well, on the topic of potential sexual abuse and violence, it looks like the left, which, which obviously loves this because it creates more um, fighting between the genders. And, and as I'm writing in the next book after the next book about fiction will be maybe called Day for Unity about how they divide and conquer us based on gender and everything else and, and race and class and, and age. Um, but it looks like they want to get the sexual abuse started in the schools because the radical left has been pushing in many different ways throughout the United States, um, ways to put boys as young as, you know, 5, 10, 15 years old, all boys, full access with the gold card entry access to the girls' locker rooms, showers, and bathrooms. And just coming from the Federalist a few days ago, I believe, we put in the show notes, this was published on the May 25th, so like five, six, seven days ago. Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to force K-12 schools throughout the United States to allow boys and girls in each other's bathrooms if they identify as the opposite gender, which we all know. If you tell a 12-year-old boy, he has to say the magical words and he'll be allowed into the girls' showers and locker rooms, he'll probably do that. Very many of them will when they're you know, 10, 8, 15 years old. And that's going to be a disaster for so many reasons, as we saw with the, with the schools in Virginia, I believe. So anyway, the federal government's new newest approach to this is saying they're going to cut the funding, which I've been, I've been writing about grants for years now. They, have, they give grants to the schools for lunch money and poor kids and this and that and other welfare or just massive block grants from the federal education department to state education departments and all these grants. They Then they have you by the, by the you know what. Then they well, can that's you take those away if you don't do it. So they're saying they're going to take away the, the lunch money grant that they give every year to every school if they don't allow boys to go into girls' locker rooms at will. And again, one more reason we need independence so that we don't send them the money in the first place via federal income taxes so they can't extort us with the money that we give them. Well, maybe we I need independence, but I, I think that we need local board of educations to stand up and say, we won't take your money. Exactly. And that's where I was just going to say- We don't follow the government schools entirely, but yeah. I, I was I just going to say that same thing along Ed's line, because I can tell you, for example, Tiana saw that immediately and she's like, I've got a lot of research to do. I will never vote to take this money. You know, so thank God we do have people that are getting in and Who's paying Tiana? attention. They already oh, take the money. Everyone already takes the money. These are blocking no, no. grants that are, that are given every year to everything. And this is probably a big welfare thing. Well, like, these are yeah. these are new board members. It's a new school board member. Yeah, he's, she's talking about our local board of education. Yes, yeah, she, she just came in in January. So interesting. Well, but a lot of these are given every year. Every year, the federal government, I'm sure, gives the North Carolina State Board of Education a grant, probably a billion dollars. They give this to all 50 states, I believe. 
So they, they, they rely on the, the North Carolina state government budget they make every year, takes into account their revenue from taxes and from federal grants and some other ways. So the, the federal grant. Well, we've got to decide you, before you can be independent politically, you've got to decide to be independent economically. Okay, so just right. to talk, I'll, I'll just talk for you for a minute, reminding you that you were on the budget committee of your township. And you're the one, if you say we're not going to take this, the other people in the budget committee are going to say, and how are we funding the schools? And the parents kill me. Yelling they said them. many things, you know, the, the American Rescue Plan, the, the ARPA, the act. Um, you know how many, how many times in the budget committee I heard people saying, oh, it's the ARPA funds. It's coming from ARPA. We're, we're okay. Right. The federal and government's giving us free money. Why not take it? It's, it's a and they got you by the cojones. So but you're once they, once you take it, these are, and they mentioned there are strings attached to these money. They, they mentioned it in the budget committee. Oh, yeah. So that was the same thing. Just just for the money that was dispersed, it was only the $115,000. And Ed, I know I had done some digging and sent you a few things, but the $115,000 that was dispersed for school nurses meant that you had to follow the gov the federal government's um, guidelines. I mean, all of it boils down to something. And that's why I thank God North Carolina Senate, for example, is at least moving forward with small things like they've got a parental rights bill that they're trying to push forward um, to keep certain things out of school following in Florida's footsteps. I don't know if it's going to get passed or not. I highly doubt it, but at least they're moving forward to put protections in place for our students. But in the best case scenario, we also had a parental bill of rights and, and Dictator Sununu was going to veto it. And he had, he had mm. his friends kill it in the, in the house at the last second. But again, even if you pass that parental bill of rights for the schools, if you pass it, best case scenario, the federal government will cut all funding, meaning North Carolina loses 30, 40, 50% of their revenue. In New Hampshire, around half to, to two thirds of our revenue annually comes from federal grants, which is really taxpayer money anyway, but it goes to DC and back. North Carolina, probably roughly half, give or take, probably half their revenue comes from federal grants. And Biden and the left actually has the guts, unlike Trump, to cut funding. They'll cut and starve you guys. And then you have two options, starve to death, three options. Star, starve you, because you're not increase taxes, you know, know what? by billions or secede or give in to authoritarianism. Elliot, every single adult in this country turned 18 years old and moved away from their parents their parents are paying 100% of their expenses or 95%. And at some point you become independent and you pay your own way. It, it's time that local communities stop being bribed with their own destruction. Amen, Ed. It, Amen. So Gina, your friend is newly on the board of Ed? Well, we flipped our school board in November. So we got rid of three Democrats, put three conservatives in. And she's so, yes, my friend too, Steve. Yes, it's his friend too. She's wonderful. Of course. Would she come on the show and tell us what's going on locally in the battle and what she's up against, et cetera? I think she, I think she'll talk about some of it. I think they've got a lot of stuff. They just finished their um, planning sessions and all that. I don't know what all they can say, but I'm sure she would well, love Obviously to not us. everything, but I think it's good to hear um, people locally who are taking on the fight. And obviously people who are doing that and taking the flack, they get a lot of support. And I don't mm -hmm. know if they realize how many people out of state support what they're doing. Yeah, I know she would love to talk. She watches us sometimes, so she'd love to come on. Can I be a cynic again? Can you not I be a cynic? A lot of people get elected and lose their principles very quickly to state house and school boards, especially because, as we all know, the government education system, the NEA and ATF, and the union, the leaders, the bosses, the school board superintendents, they are some of the most horrific leftist politicians in the universe. I've seen people elected the school board who were great, conservative, libertarian, awesome principles, as good as Alu and Ed and Gina, just awesome people. I blinked, and within weeks, they were exact carbon copies of the leftists on the school board. I've seen this many times on local school board here, but same with state rep and elsewhere. So you said your friend, I forget her name, uh, is great. 
let, hopefully you guys can keep her great energy down there in Carolina. But I, yeah, again, we'll, I think we'll smack her if not, we'll smack her. Well, I'm going to bring up a very uncomfortable subject, but I find that religious people have a slight edge on staying on the straight and narrow. They do. She, I know yeah. that's a controversial statement, but sometimes it no, that's very true. No, it's very true because it's what your where your moral compass is guiding you. So no, that's very true. Hundred percent. It may be harder for for an atheist. Maybe they need more slaps in the face. I don't know. Okay, real quick. Anybody else got anything pressing? It and we're wrapping up for the week. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have one more white pill for everyone. Um, go see the. He's uh, like a freaking drug dealer. Top Gun. Go see the Top, top Gun. Is that it? Maverick. Um, you know what? It's Pride Month, so you need a rainbow pill. Yeah. There no. you go. Good job, Mike. It's go, here. Go see the Top Gun Maverick movie. It's a very, uh, it's, it's a good movie. Um, it's not, it's not a perfect movie. It's not, a, you know, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's a good movie. It's, a, it's a very pro-American movie, and uh, it's probably. I, I can't remember the last time there was such a, a pro-American movie. So I, I they put I Taiwan patches back on. What's that? They put Taiwan patches back on. They did. Apparently, they put the Taiwan patches back on. So I think yeah. everybody should go see it. This is one we probably should have spent a little more time on. I know we didn't have a lot of time, but I, I think it is really interesting. Number one is getting rave views. I didn't expect that from a Top Gun sequel, <laughs> but it really is. Uh, you know, it's a touch point on the whole cultural battles, left versus right. And, you know, obviously people are, are gravitating towards something that's got a very pro-American message. Well, I, I have one thing that I want to, I don't want to let the week go by without mentioning it. Um, last week we had the school shooting. Um, Justin Trudeau is already trying to to prohibit guns in Canada. Democrat yeah. politicians here are, are making similar noises. Um, and I don't think that's all that noteworthy. I mean, I think that's what's to be expected. That's what these people do. Uh, but to me, the thing that's really caught my attention in the last week is that the police story in Uvalde is being attacked and, and properly so. Uh, the police obviously lied about what they did, about their cowardice and not protecting those children in the school and they are starting to take a lot of flack. And it's not just Tucker Carlson. I'm seeing it on other programs as well. And um, I think it's a really interesting development that the police are not, not getting the, the trust that they, once, that they once got and that people on the right for, for, forever have always given them. But they're not, getting, they're not getting the benefit of the doubt. And they're being shown to have lied through their teeth about this. And they're being raked over the coals. You know, I saw one, com <laughs> one commentator opined that he's blaming it on the fact that the good cops are being chased off the forces, leaving the dregs. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but it was an interesting way of looking at things. Well, I mean, that's true in, in Minneapolis. I mean, Elliot, I you got that. something down there? Yeah, I know. We, we know what you are going to say, uh, Elliot, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I think, you know, the, everything <laughs> relative, right? I mean, I think the relatively good cops are being, uh, you know, are leaving um, in places like Minneapolis where they went after the police, Philadelphia and whatnot. But I, so I, I just wrote an article, I think, yesterday for libertyblock.com. We published it, so check out the site. I think it's the latest article. And again, it, it discusses straight up um, the courts, the Supreme Court and other state courts have ruled numerous times. The police do not have an obligation to protect you. They cannot be held liable uh, criminally or civilly 
for not protecting you. There are many cases, women, a woman was being raped in her house. She called the police. Men were raping her at knife point and eventually beat them, and I believe killed her. Um, and, and family sued the police. And this it went to the Supreme Court, I believe. But they and did. Maybe this was Warren versus DC. Elliot, Elliot this was one. And Elliot, the facts that, uh, here are no even worse. The facts that, here are even worse because it's not just that they stood by and did nothing. They actually prevented parents from trying to get in and try to save their own children. So I, I think they're taking a lot of flack for this. And I think it's well-deserved. Um, and I'll just say that the, the standard defense of the, of the thin blue line is that they put their lives on the line for us every day. They deserve to get paid extra money and get paid good salaries. And, you know, but, and, you know, maybe not in a legal sense, maybe you shouldn't be able to sue them, but on a, on a moral sense, I have every right to believe they have an obligation to, to go towards the gunfire, not away from it. Um, and, and to be honest, I, this is not the law, but it ought to be the law. Um, uh, every gun-free zone, um, the, the person who, or, or group of people who decide that any particular piece of property is a gun-free zone should be personally liable for all crime, um, violent crime that is committed in that gun-free zone. I know that isn't the law. Who should be liable? Who should be liable? The the people who decided on the gun-free zone should be personally liable. So, I mean, as far as the, you know, uh, school, it should be the the federal legislator. The Gun-Free School Zones Act was passed by Congress in 1990. Yeah. We're going to go back to the legislators. All of those people who voted for it should be responsible, including the states which have the same law. You know, I I, I absolutely don't think that uh, you can get away with with passing laws that say uh, this is a self-defense-free zone. And then when people die because they have no means of self-defense, you know, you get to say... uh, Oh, that was too bad. Yeah, what's amazing is that the government, and the police is obviously the enforcement part of the government, the government has said, you can't protect yourself. Guns are banned or highly regulated in almost every area of the United States. In New Hampshire, it's the least regulated, but still we have federal laws. So they've essentially said in, in places like, you know, in schools, but also in, in states like, like New York and California, they've said, you cannot protect yourself, we'll protect you. And then they don't protect us. And they rule, the courts rule, the government rules that the government does not protect us. So they're not gonna protect us. They don't have the legal requirement or the inclination or the ability to be omnipotent to protect everyone at all times, obviously, everyone, everyone is that. So for three reasons, no ability, no requirement, and no, and no inclination to protect us, but also they don't let us protect ourselves. So either let me protect myself with a gun, let me have a gun, or protect us. They, 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 you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Well, and that sort of parallels the, the discussion we had earlier about the PrEP Act and immunity that the, the, the pharmaceutical companies have for, for any damages that happen from these vaccines, and then the government forces you to take them, right? I mean, they, they don't protect us and then they don't allow us to protect ourselves. So it's, it's sort of the same issue. All righty, folks, we're good for today. I think so. Thanks again, Josh, for coming on board. If you're listening to this, um, thanks everybody. It was a good good show, I hope. Yeah, and everybody do, their, do uh, what they can to support that organization as well as every freedom-loving organization. And this will be up as a podcast very shortly. We thank everyone for being here today. And we will see you next week, regular time, four o'clock on Wednesday. Have a wonderful day.